0: We don't sell product, we sell wow. Wow is better than product. You open the door, you listen to the music, you smell, you see the interior, you see the store from outside. It's one wow, two wow, three wow. The problem, people attempt to try to sell product. Everyone has product, but not so many people has a wow.
1: That's Ramdam Tuhami, creative visionary, serial entrepreneur, and the man behind global beauty brand Bully 1803, which he founded in 2014 with his wife and business partner Victoire de Talac, and sold in October last year to LVMH. Not a bad trajectory for the son of an apple picker who was himself homeless 25 years ago. I'm Bethan Ryder, and I'm your host for this episode of the Create Tomorrow podcast, This week, I'm joined by Lisa White, Director of Interiors at WGSN. We asked Ramdan how to resurrect an historic brand. What role does he think creativity plays in business? And is he looking forward to designing in the metaverse? But first, a little about his late friend, Virgil Abloh. One thing it struck me when I was reading about your kind of career trajectory in the book um, is there was a sort of a little bit of a parallel with Virgil Abloh, which I don't know if you have ever considered that, but um, this view that you came from a kind of out of the establishment position, like you're a son of an apple picker, you kicked off in skatewear, you subverted the brand branding in a way with your uh, Tushiland uh, T-shirt, which was a play on Timberland. And I think it's interesting that you've both brought an incredible energy and outsider perspective in a way to branding and to creativity and I just wondered um, if you see that parallel and if you how you sort of keep that sort of fresh vision
0: I was a very good friend of Virgil actually we were about to work on few projects I don't know if we do the thing the same way we do it we are dramatically opposite he picks everything he used to pick sadly uh, everything in contemporary world, the guy was, the For he was a genius for that. Me is the opposite. I have maybe the same modus operandi, like we say in Latin, like we think we do the things maybe the same way, but the last 15, 10 years were more focused on the past, like, which is very yeah. funny. We were doing maybe the same way the things, but in two different eras. The big difference between us, well, me and Virgil was I do manage my companies. I do own them. For me, to create exactly what you want, you cannot split the power. Me, uh, as a former accounting guy, because I, was a, I graduated accounting, I always loved to have the power and to manage. I don't think accounting is dirty work. I don't think logistic is dirty work. I like the way how they've done. I don't care to make money. The only thing that I want to do is to learn how to do things. I'm not the guy who say, oh, please, uh, I want this product. Who can make it in the team? No, I'm the guy who's gonna go find the factory first, go visit the factory, see how everything works, and then give it to someone in my team. Because I saw how the thing works. I want to learn how the things work. Right now, I'm working on a new project called Christophe, the silverware. I'm revamping a bit the brand. It's not official, but I'm working on it. And I'm learning everything about silverware. It's very, very interesting. Every project I'm working on, I want to learn how to do it. For Bully, I learned carpentry. We're going to come back to the history of Bully. But I'm very curious about the modus operandi, more than... um, kind of net very interested at the end, the result.
2: And that's something that I always say and what we're doing is um, the past is present right now and the future is present as well too um, because we can gain so much for investigating and uncovering all these amazing things from the past. And um, at the same time too, we kind of need to recognize the seeds of the future and what we're doing right now. And I think a lot of the work that you've done has given other brands confidence and going into heritage things in the past and making that work for the future. And, you know, I think it also means that by the the way you work, it's very thorough. You're not just looking at one aspect of the business. Again, like you said, it's everything from accounting to um, the way people treat the customers when they walk into the store. Every single detail counts. And so it really makes other brands aware about how many of their current choices are going to be their legacy for the future, But the one thing I wanted to ask you about, because you are so focused on the past and bringing the best things from the past into the present and future, how do you think about the future of the brands that you work with?
0: The first obsession, don't stick to the story. This is an extremely important thing. Every brand who attempt to be rebranded from the past or revamped, they don't know how to do it. They are kind of, let's say, stupid. They go to the past, they take a font, they take a things and they revamp it out of it and they try to, do, to build everything from the archives. And it's never working very well. The idea is the balance. One foot in the past, one foot in the future. You cannot revamp a brand just out of an archive you found in the 19th century. First, you have to work on the life of the brand. If you stick only to the proof of the past, you're gonna be dead. Let's take an example. When you see the store of Rue Bonaparte, you arrive, the door is from the 90s. I didn't change it. The lighting is from early 2000. The counter in the front of you, the light is from the 1930s. If you point your eyes everywhere, you have a proof of all the time and all the decades. The stupid brands, they go to a font they're gonna use, they're gonna do, try to do a kind of Disneyland of one era. No, you have to keep a lot of small errors. These errors will make you human. It's a very important point, but people don't think about that. It's very complex. Sometimes I totally improvise. But let's say when I arrive in Japan, I arrive in Japan, Japan is pretty modern, but they love the old France. But me, I like the modern Japan. That's why the first store I split it into, because I, I, I could not decide... Which side I, want, I love the most. Like, I really arise, say, fuck, I love Japan, but they want France. Ah, that's why I get it in half, 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 and it became a huge success. We disco- I discovered that this balance can work very well in every aspect of the brand.
2: Yeah, it basically w- keeps the brand alive because you're taking all of these different aspects. It's creating a personality because people change and brands change.
0: Yeah, mm. but the material I had in hands is very limited. For Billy. It's five labels, a bottle. You have to create what I call hyperrealism. Don't I go, though if you read the Umberto Eco, I attempt to, to try to anticipate what I want as a customer and what people are expecting from the city where we are. If I did stupid old French store in Japan, that doesn't work. It will never work.
1: You're listening to Ramdan Touhami, French-Moroccan founder of beauty brand Bouli. He's on the WJSN Create Tomorrow podcast. We're discussing his beauty brand Bouli, which he sold to LVMH in October 2021, but in which he still plays a large creative role. Now a global brand, we talked about how his stores have become destinations in their own right. I wanted to ask you, Ramdan, about this because your stores are, um, they're real destinations. And I know that you were at the start of the concept store when you were starting out around the time that Colette happened. You know, you were already interested in this kind of destination retail. But with Bully, I love the way you've gone from like summer inspired by a newspaper kiosk, something else, an Art Deco liner. And I know just from when I came to write about your house, That you're about to drag the whole family off to Tokyo (laughs) to live because you were opening there. You have this global brand, but it's very local, which is something, Lisa, that we talk about a lot, right, at WGSN and kind of how you maintain that as a brand. Is it always important to you to go to the city? How do you get that, do that so well?
0: Oh, first I knew Japan before because I did many stores before in Japan and I, I, I go to Japan. Basically between, I'm going to Tokyo tomorrow, for example. Japan, I wanted for the first time in my life to do a project with no partners. As I told you, my uh, level of curiosity is super high. And what was interesting, how do you hire a person? How you do like a labor contract? How you pay a lease? How you find a store? How you work the logistics? How you learn the language? How do you do? To, I mean, how do you live with it? I know everything now by heart, actually. How do you do a contract with the staff? And I said to Victor uh, and Victor, I'm lucky. I have a wife who accepts always my stupid uh, experience. Uh, uh, I say, guys, uh, we go to Japan. If we have to do a store there, we don't do it with a partner. We do it ourselves. We do it like we did it in Paris. It's going to work. And it's funny because now we have. Uh, by the end of this year, we're going to have uh, about 25 or 30 stores. And it's a huge success. No partner, which is kind of unique in our business, especially in the beauty business. But I knew where, actually, before I moved to Tokyo, I knew where I wanted to do the store, which area. It's really, it's very complex because you have to be close to your sta- shop staff. Look, you have to know their lifestyle. You have to know it You don't even know how many holidays, legal holidays, have Japanese staff in Japan. No one knows here on this side of the world. And I knew that the legal thing, everyone has basically two weeks per year holidays by law. And I knew that if I gave 25 days, I will have the best staff. It's what we did. We came with a revolution. We said, oh guys, we pay you better than the other one, like we do in Paris, but we give you more holidays. It's how things work. If you're not there to understand this kind of detail, commuting, Tokyo is 85 kilometers long. 85, it's the biggest city in the world. And I was in the store and my question is, how long do you commute you? You say, ah, I, I do 40 minutes. I mean, okay, I did the rule. No one can commute more than 30 minutes to come to the office, to the shop. And then we placed store all over the city. Now we have five or six stores in Tokyo. And we built a team. They were commuting 30 minutes around the store. And it was very, very complex. I'm extremely excited. To say that I had a fantastic experience and I know very well now how things work. And now I'm doing new businesses in Japan. And trust me, I know how the things work, but I will use for the next businesses.
1: You're listening to the WGSN Create Tomorrow podcast. We're talking about how creativity is at the heart of everything, even business. We're talking about this with possibly one of the most creative accountants in the world, all-round branding visionary, Ramdan Tuhami. So let's hear what Creative Director of WGSN, Lisa White, wants to know next.
2: WGSN, we're talking about creativity as not just being in that innovation side and the design side, but really the case for creativity is an industry and business driver. And I see creativity as the raw material for everything. And you can be creative in accounting, you can be creative in HR, you can be creative in everything, but it doesn't get recognized in many ways from a business perspective. And without creativity, there is no innovation. Without innovation, there is no business. And I kind of wanted to know from your point of view, what would you say is the business value of creativity? First, everything is creativity. Everything is
0: creativity. You can create uh, in your logistics. And uh, what I always said to my team, what people see and what people don't see has to be the same level of beauty. The, the organization has to be. Uh, your tools are humans a lot. Dog. You work with people. Dog. They have to embrace uh, your philosophy. And when you explain to the shop staff that the shop, the stock in the back, has to be as beautiful as the store, it changes everything. The beautiful, the the office where they change the changing room has to be as important as the store. People kind of don't care about that. Uh, the comfort of the staff and. Uh, we created some little system. We created even in accounting. Actually, when my company started in Japan, I started to read books of management of big Japanese mogul businessmen. And I discovered this guy called Ina Mori-san. Mori-san. was the president of Kyocera and KDDI, big, big company. And I discovered a whole world of management. And the guy, re- when I started to read this book, I discovered that he had the same problem as mine. He had a small company growing super fast. And how do you manage, manage all these people who come to you, ask you many questions? And, and if I went to business school, I don't even have a French back. I have nothing. I have to improvise everything. The guy started to read this thing. He said, oh, this is how you have to create your company. Like these people, everyone is happy. First, you have to give the feeling, and I said, the feeling, that everyone is a bit independent. The people who produce the product, will sell to the stores. And the guys who buy the raw material sells to the production. Production sells to the store. Store, report. And they have to decide each other the price. It's like mini stores. Everyone has a, the PR charge everyone. The accounting charge everyone. And if everyone is on the green enough, they can ask me to add one stuff for them if they're happy. And they share the profit. It's a very strange system. Everyone has his little bonuses together, but there's no fight. Because if the guy who produces who sell to the production, the raw material, buy the raw material and sell to the production too high, they all help each other. For example, a guy who has the design studio and he used too much delivery boys, super expensive. At the end, he says he's losing his profit. And at the end, they're going to find a way to do it cheaper to send less guys because they want to have more bonuses. They want to become independent, like it's their own little store. But I don't have to tell them, they were their own, almost their own boss. <laughs> you can create on the most unexpected places in a company, which is very funny. I loved it. And you try, me it was a lab. My new companies
2: are labs. I love to create. Yeah, and so that's making sure that the company functions on every level. And from a business perspective, if you don't have everything functioning well, then there might be a downfall somewhere, a fatal flaw or something like that. So, yeah, making sure that everybody's creative and nimble makes sense. But how about the creativity yourself? When you come in, you want to do something, let's say, crazy. You work for yourself, so you don't have to worry about that. But what would you say for companies that don't get to? manage all of the processes? And how open should they be to new creative ideas instead of we've always done it this way?
0: Actually, there's nothing more slow than the the creative world right now. If you analyze, take a picture of 1960s, take a picture of 1965, take a picture of 1970, 75, 80, every single girl picture you will see in the street is different. Colors, everything changed. Every five years was, now you take a picture of 2012 and now fucking nothing changed because there are, no one takes tricks and there's no craziness. Like the crazy, when you have one crazy once in a while, genius. It's magic how Virgil Abloh was free to do whatever he wants and see the window he did with uh, Fay McLeod and everything. Pretty magic. I was, and I worked with Faye. She had hundreds of, Thousand ideas when I worked with her at Liberty 20 years ago, she's the same person, but the one gave her this level of budget, this level of trust, and this crazy guy to work with. That's very hard. Show me a brand who's banana crazy. I work with Alessandro Michele is the one guy, the only guy I really saw with a huge power see what he did with Gucci because the company was down. He has the luck of the company down, though nothing to lose. And they let him do whatever he wants. because the first season he did, lucky boy, blah, blah, uh, everything. We tend to, to, to try to avoid in the creativity risk. And creativity, the pure creativity is a risky business. Pure risky business. And uh, people try to do a non-risky creative guy. I mean, it's a super strange. Uh,
2: People like yourself and Vergiablo and other people, too, can, um, you know, and Alessandro Michele, can really um, encourage brands to make those leaps because there's been successes elsewhere. So, you know, being a creative trailblazer is important right now. If
0: it took two, three seasons for Alessandro Michele to take off, I mean, they're not giving him this level of, of, of freedom. Um, he had to prove it through numbers. This is, uh, sadly, uh, the, the, the reality. Uh, it's a hyper-finance gro- uh, world right now. So, uh, you have to prove it. And it's funny because I think in the past when I came in these businesses in the in mid-90s, I felt that they were more patient in terms of result. They were giving them two, three years to see how the things go. Right now, first season, you're not good. Out.
1: It's the WGSN Create Tomorrow podcast. Next, we hear from Randan Tuhami, about the kind of things that can kill a brand dead.
0: <laughs> I think competition is uh, it's uh, it's healthy competition. For me, I think it's uh, it's very healthy. Right now, the problem is the problem of size. It's how far we want to go. How big the things have to be. Sometimes brands have a natural size and they tend to be bigger than their natural size. Sometimes brands want to, they, let's say they can be super nice at 10 million turnover, two, three stores, beautiful thing. But sometimes people are pushing them to be bigger than what they're supposed to be. People don't understand, but a, a company, it's almost something like a plant. There's a size you cannot go bigger. You're not going to have like a tree who's like a hundred meter long, you know, because you have roots. The roots are the, the IDs, the material. You have the water. You have a thing. It's a, it's a very comp- complex thing. And people attempt to uh, use GMO to create huge things. We are not supposed to be big. Right now, we are in a world that we attempt to uh, give steroids to companies. These social media give fucking steroids to brands who are like... I call it hysterical brands. They arrive, blam! They are everywhere. Everyone talks about it. Two years after, zero. I don't know how you deal that because it's not creation. It's, I don't creation is something. How to say? I was today with someone. We were hiring. Billy was hiring for the whatever something very corporate new thing, whatever. But a pretty good person. She said, "What do you do for Christmas windows?" <laughs> you notice that Billy has no Christmas window. I say, why you don't do Christmas with People are, don't do- they are not dumb. They know it's Christmas. I'm not going to put in the window. Hey, this is Christmas. Buy stuff here. If I know we have good stuff, I will come to buy stuff. You don't have to advertise it. Like, I mean, we became a kind of, hello, we are here nonstop. Really, I said, the philosophy of our company is not do the good job. And if you want to do a gift, if you like perfume, we will be on your, str- we will be in your road. Don't worry, smart people will come. I don't want to have more than smart people.
2: Gifting is something that's happened so much during the pandemic because we were separated from everybody else uh, besides our immediate families and sending a gift to somebody was something that was really um, uh, key and buying gifts for yourself. And even the most simple um, tool for the kitchen or the bath or whatever became something really important. And that's something I feel that Bully and what you do in general, because you have so much attention to detail you are able to take the most simple things and make them a gift. Already going into the store feels like a gift. You go into the store now because you want to feel something. And Harvard Business Review has done these really interesting studies about why people shop. And it's to feel something, to feel confident in the future. And the spaces you create allow people to feel. You go in and you come out feeling a different way kind of like when you go to the cinema or something like that. You can change your perspective. But getting back to the idea of the gift is it's a way of taking a bit of that feeling home with you. And I was just wondering because of every detail that you have going on in your spaces, the idea of gifting is such a key word. How do you approach the idea of a gift?
0: We don't sell product. We sell wow. Wow is better than product. You open the door, you listen to the music, you smell, you see the interior, you see the stuff from outside. It's one wow, two wow, three wow. You see the person do the calligraphy, you smell the things, you see the experience, how nice people are, how the woman addresses. Wow, 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 wow. This is mainly what we're supposed to sell. Don't, the gifting was one of the wow, it was very important. And I don't know how we did it, but you can have the, almost the same wow when you receive your box from online shopping. If you open, you have, everything is perfume, there's no plastic, you open, everything is calligraphy, you have a little note, you have the catalog, there's a lot of things. The problem, people attempt to try to sell product. Everyone has product. But not so many people have, wow. Voilà. And talking about the gifting during the pandemic, <laughs> you're at home, you're working, you don't go to a restaurant, you don't travel, la la la, your bank account is. So the people who has, a good salary, the bank account was there. You are bored on your computer. And you just remember that on your computer, you can do what you used to do <laughs> when it was before the pandemic, shopping. And you're like, you have your credit cards, it became very easy and safe to put your credit card. And you just go, and you start to buy fashion. But when it arrives to your house, <laughs> where do, am I going to wear these clothes? <laughs> I'm staying home, there's no dinner, there's no parties, there's nothing. I'm going to do it by myself and do Instagram. No, limited time. And then, you start to buy food and things for your kitchen. And when you bought things for your kitchen, they say, oh, and oh, wow, I would love to smell better. I would change my perfume. And you start to buy a perfume and you start to go to the bathroom and you arrive at Bully. And Billy, which is magic, has three things in the, uh, Bully. You travel through the cosmetics. Donc all the perfume will remind you uh, when we say uh, "lichen of Scotland, you go to Scotland, Tuberos of Mexico, you're in Mexico. You have all these holes, all this clay, you want to try to transform your bathroom as a kitchen. And then you have even tools for your bathroom, which is very funny. I said, I want the bathroom to become the new kitchen. <laughs> One day, I decided that. Donc, you need to have the brush for your back 10 different. We have 156 combs. You can have, sorry, but so many combs. Brushes, da-la-la-la. La, la. And I said, let's transform the bathroom as a kitchen, new kitchen. And people start to like it. And we discover that, wow, for the first time, people can offer a comb. You can engrave it with the initials. You can, I mean, it became super funny. I consider myself as the number one seller, uh, like uh, number one seller of luxury combs in the world. I can say so because I'm the only one. And we start to discover that This market where no one knew it was one. The story of this factory who makes the combs is very funny. I visited the oldest uh, combs factory in Europe, in Switzerland, which is not the cheapest part of the world. And I visit them to do one comb or two combs, I remember. And I arrived and the old lady was 86 years old at that time. She died during the COVID, sadly. I was there and she we talk and say, how many combs you do? Uh, we work for this brand and this brand. We do like these five different combs or always the same one. And said, you have more? She said, yeah, we have 186 combs that we used to do in the 50s, but no one used them anymore. And I said, oh, wow, can you show me? She said, let's do all of them. And she looked at me and said, wow, for two reasons. First reason, I'm sure your staff is bored doing Imagine, every day, you come, you do the five same combs for 24, five years or 30 years. I said, no, they, they cannot do that. It's insane for them. That I like the idea that I will help this staff to be happy to work for us. And it was real because when I came back to the factory a few months after, people were like, ah, ciao. they like uh, from Tecino, south of, it, uh, of, uh, south of Switzerland. They were super happy to see me because I was the guy who was ordering everything. They are less bored with us. And let's go back to your history of the brand. Maybe this comb that we were super successful in the 50s can be again successful. I was right. Huge success. And then originality of Bully. In on this 186 combs, how many I sell really? 30, 40, a lot. The rest they cost me your money. <laughs> but we're the only one to have them. Uh, and I love this idea. It's, I, I don't care. When I was owning this company, I had this magic of, I don't give a shit, sorry to say so. Uh, we lose money on that, we will make money on another thing. That's fine, don't worry.
2: So that's an interesting that's, you know, way of doing business as well, too, because you opened recently the gasoline stand. And you, know, you said you didn't do that for money. But again, that's made me, I don't even have a car, go to a gasoline stand so i mean that's it's you know again it's a gift it's a gift to the city of paris because it's hard to find a gasoline stand number one and uh number two it's a gift to the people who um who go there and can get themselves a lovely hot dog or a great little design thing
0: and you you come with your car you don't refuel by yourself the car someone does it you can have a coffee sitting in your car and no one does it this level anywhere in the world you have a super barista well i'll be honest with you i lose a lot of money with this project but (laughs) <laughs> but it's not a good project at all. But it's funny to do it. I just wanted to do it. And I'm losing 600,000 uh, euro on that. But, uh, but I'm doing another project. It's what I call the tour of my stupid ideas. So I'm doing the gasoline stand. Now I'm doing a little bar I just signed in Rue Chabanay in the Japanese district in Paris, Rue Saint Anne, Rue Chabanay, I just bought, we're gonna do like a record bar. We're doing a lot of small, stupid projects that I'm dreaming to do. They work, they don't work, I call it experience. Look I'm not losing anything at the end, except money.
1: Keep listening to find out how a design solution to tackle dust turned into a global display trend, elevating the humble candle in the process. Between 2006 and 2011, Ramdan turned the fortunes of French wax company Circudon around. Let's hear a little bit more about this.
0: You can transform any business if you do it well. Anyone. And people don't understand, even when I did Cirque Trudon, I arrived to a business, I knew nothing. I hated candles. And uh, <laughs> I loved it after. I said, we're not going to do perfume, we're going to do smells. That no one, no one understood when I went to the perfume in 2006 and said, what? We're going to do smells? Yeah, we're going to do Headspace of my favorite place. We went to library, we went to Louvre, we went to whatever, and we did Headspace. And then I invented the jars on the candle. Everybody in the world now put jars on the candle. I did it first. And it's funny because I did it by accident because it was... I went to a shop and they were cleaning the candle with things because of the dust. And I said, how to protect the dust? I went to a dinner. I found a friend who had a jar for the cheese. And then I, I use it. Went home, did it. And I discovered it. And the whole world is copying it. It's funny how did little... And I changed the business. This display plus... The perfume, uh, uh, replacing the perfume by smells, became the huge success of Sir Trudon. It's a question of small details. I just want to ask if you ever sleep because it appears to me that
1: you are just so full, always switched on and all this attention to detail. And are you one of these people that sleep six hours a day? I just have to ask.
0: Eight hours. My life is very simple. I'm vegetarian. I do gym every morning, one hour. When I wake up at six, seven in the morning, I have my coach by Zoom or whatever, FaceTime, whatever. And uh, I start, I never eat before 1 p.m. Don't eat twice a day. Because when I have nothing in my stomach, I have very good ideas. You remember when you take a shower in the morning, you have a good ideas? It's because you have nothing in your belly. It's because you are, the digestion doesn't use the energy that your brain is using. Look, it's one of the big things, and uh, I'm very intense to work with the people uh, who are here behind me. Like, you see, <laughs> I'm not alone. I have a team behind me. You have to have a, a it's intense. But no one leaves. It's always the same. Whenever <laughs> you know the That's t- a good, very the, good sign, the turnover of Billy was 04 percent.
1: Well, I loved what you said. maybe it's slightly going to bring down the tone of the podcast, but you said that often salespeople are considered the anus of the digestive system in the um, consumption cycle, and that you intentionally paid people forty percent above market rate because you realize that these people are on the front front line they are you they are your brand and how important they are and that's just brilliant to hear, having worked on a shop floor i I just thought that was there's so much credibility to being a good person in a shop dealing with the public. And I just, I just loved that you said that and clearly it's paid off if you've kept your teams.
0: Rebounding on this thing about the salary, how can you live as a boss of a company, having your staff struggling with a very poor salaries? How do you want them to be good? How do you want to have someone... In Paris, you know that, less than 2,500 euros a month, net, you cannot live. Like, you cannot even pay you food, you cannot have a drink with your friends, you can, you want, like, you want to live with depressed people around you? You can ask my people here. Everyone is overpaid compared to their previous job. I know their previous salary. And every year on November 1st, plus 10%, every year. And I say, we're going to do a trip together. And I want you to see yourself in 10 years because you know how much you're going to make per month because we are growing every year from the ten percent. Just have to calculate, my guys. You just have to calculate. I deliver the client, don't worry, but do it. And everyone knows, first of November,
2: automatic. Brilliant. Well, I do have a last question yeah. though, because we're talking ten about years. 10 years from now. Because you're somebody who is so physical in the things that you create, do you actually see yourself in 10 years designing digital aspects? No. For the metaverse no. or whatever? No? Only physical for you?
0: No, I like digital, but not metaverse.
2: Well, you don't know. I mean, I'm tempted to start a plant store in the, in, in the metaverse. I would love to create plants that don't exist and sell them in the metaverse. But I'm not somebody who's, you know, digital, you know, either. My but. dear
0: Lisa, <laughs> good luck with metaverse. I believed in uh, tech early two thousand in the late 90s. And... Uh, I like to see the eyes of someone who goes to my store to sell my product, to, to be... I like to see the eyes, the, the sparkling eyes. Like you guys, when we're gonna buy the thing, we're gonna have, they're gonna share their sparkling eyes with their screen. Me, I want to see them in real. <laughs> I want to see the guy open to the store and I want to see the wow in their eyes. Not through a screen. Um, you know what? I love the reality. And I love my reality. <laughs> and I don't want to, for nothing, in the, in, I want to stay in my reality. I don't want to be part of a screen of someone. I want to be in real. I want people to walk. I want to exercise. I don't know. I'm very vintage on that.
1: Thanks to our guests this week, Ramdan Tuhami and Lisa White. If you're a subscriber to the WGSN site, you'll find more about why we need to argue the case for creativity in our Future Drivers 2024 report on the Insight platform. If you want to find out how to subscribe, head over to WGSN.com to discover how you can get access to our service. We're constantly publishing new material focusing on how we can design a brighter, better future for our industries. And these now cover food and drink, interiors, beauty, fashion and consumer tech. You can subscribe to the show on all major podcast platforms. And if you like what you've heard, why not leave us a rating and review on iTunes? I'd also like to thank our podcast producer, Roland Bodenham, and we'll be back in two weeks for our next episode. Thanks for listening.